0: Welcome to the Seller Roundtable E-Commerce Coaching and Business Strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 114. We're super excited, privileged to have Danny McMillan with us. Danny, welcome. Thanks so much for being on today.
1: Thank you for having me guys. Uh, it's been a long time since this you, as we discussed off call didn't get to see you both in uh, Vegas, unfortunately. Because um, that's I think where I met you Andy and, and I'm sure Amy I see you face to face at Silicon. Were you at Silicon a couple of years ago?
2: I think you and I met in for the first time face to no. face in Hong,
1: Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Were yes. you, uh, you- we was at a hotel across the right away from our hotel weren't we? with Megla and a few of the others. And Andy, I met you in the June or July 2019. Uh, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So yeah. I, was hoping to, I was hoping to see you. I didn't get my visa come through. I was trying to get an exemption being UK based and the proclamation and all the boring stuff. I had two speaking gigs at Prosper lined up and three parties I was hosting. So we're going to move all of that's going to bounce over to March next year. So it's not all lost, but it would have been great to see everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, well, Amy's going to have to fill us in. I didn't make it this year either, uh, just because it didn't work out with a bunch of stuff that we were doing. Uh, we're kind of getting into the Airbnb world now, and we just launched a new product, uh, property and mm. <laughs> didn't sleep much for a month. With the preparation, there just trying to learn everything. So I didn't make it this year, but I'm going to try to do some events later in the year, um, uh, real estate events, and then we're also hopefully going to do. I might go to uh, uh, ClickFunnels Live uh, this year and, and some other stuff. Since I <laughs> ClickFunnels headquarters like literally two streets up from me here, so <laughs> I'm starting to meet all those guys. So it's pretty cool to 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 be in that in that world too. So, Danny, we would love to know a little bit more about uh, your background, your street cred. If people don't know about you yet, which I'm, you know, would be crazy if they're in the Amazon world and, and don't know about you. But I would love to get a little bit of background kind of, you know, and it goes deeper as, as little as you want in terms of, uh, you know, uh, school, where you are raised, where you're born, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm originally from the music industry, so I was lucky to travel the world as a DJ record producer, and I had a show on Kiss 100 in the UK. You've got Kiss FM's in in the US and in Australia and places like that. So I thought I had my kind of that exciting style career. And then 2008, I retired from the music industry and then went into the UK tech industry. And we've got an area in in East London. Um, We call it Silicon Roundabout, where there's like 200 startups or so as opposed to Silicon Valley, which is on greater scale and stuff. So I went from the music industry into tech and then came out of tech, lost about half a million pound on that one. Absolute disaster. You know, like you, uh, the the way I got into tech from the music industry, I did some from the gold district come to me and said, um, right, then I want to set up a music online music thing. And I went, what the F do I know about the internet? And he went, don't worry, you will learn. And so we made every cardinal rule mistake possible business model right in the middle of uh, the recession of 2008 spent 14 months in stealth mode to build something that no one wanted but it was a great baptism the fire there's nothing quite learning when you've got investors breathing down your neck and you're trying to keep people employed and working 7 days a week 80 hours a week in a cauldron and um as I said, great learning. That's how I learned about PPC back as far as then uh, in terms of Google, conversion optimization and stuff. You were forced to, to do that. And then around 2000, uh, between 2012, because I, I was involved with a ticketing business, it was on like TechCrunch, you got reviewed on there. We raised money uh, for that. And I was working as the head of digital there. And then at 2015, I wanted to reverse engineer um, like marketplaces. And I started off with eBay and where I used to live. The um, the idea was there's, you know, you go around the house and you pack some stuff up. This is the February, say, 2015. So I'm packing some stuff up around the house, February, March, packing stuff up around the house. And then I take it all to the post office down the road and get to the post office. And I realized it shut down because I was working from home, but I forgot it closed down. And I don't drive and I still don't. My wife drives, but I don't try it. So I'm thinking, well, that's my eBay career over because I'm not going to get on the bus every day to sell like incremental these products. I was really like upset, you know, towel between my legs and stuff. Come back and jumped on the eBay forum. And then it came up in front of me. Amazon FBA, I've got the tingle now, March 31st, 2015. It's when I discovered it. And I'm like, that's the one. I don't need the driver's license. I haven't got to get on the bus. And then once I looked at that, and I was like, because back then eBay didn't have PPC. That came in after it was introduced on Amazon in the UK. And because I had a PPC background, I'm like, this is great. Like, I know I had to go and find products and and test stuff. But I thought there's this Fisher-Price PPC system, which is a piece of piss to use, very easy and easy to manipulate. I mean, i had done one of the first videos on the correlation between ranking using PPC there's a video on in 2015 in the, I think it was like the November, it's got like 30,000 views now. Um, But yeah, that was one of the first videos to show the correlation. I've done it on three different products and on the ranking and the movement and and the relationship between the sales and stuff. So that was really how I got going um, with Amazon. I think we all come in from a direction. I think Amy, you have a product development background. Someone might have a branding. Mine was like, how do I manipulate PPC on a really Fisher price, cheap, easy platform and be ahead of that curve in that sense? Um, So started selling in 2015. I uh, launched, I've done some products in the UK, but then actually physically launched in the November, once I worked out what I wanted to do and they had a platform work back then, in the November, I launched straight into the US. Um, then in 2017 is when I started Seller Sessions, which is actually started off as a, a webinar every couple of weeks. And I think you guys know as well, in terms of marketing, you've got to find the sweet spot on where it lands and it's got to be, you've got to be persistent, right? So you try 10 marketing channels, none of them works by one say, and then you double down and you scrap the rest. And that was kind of what happened with seller sessions because we were doing webinars. So we built them up, doing them every two weeks. So we started to build a list. The webinars started to fall over because people were checking in from hotels. And so the uh, the connections were poor. And then obviously it was affecting the quality of the content. So we went, okay, let's start a YouTube channel. So we took all the lists that we created from the webinars and sent the traffic to the YouTube channel on a once a week basis, growing in single digits there. And then we went, right okay, let's start a blog. So then we can back optimize by writing blog posts on all of the episodes and and, and just set up and put it on the blog. Single digit growth, you know. And it wasn't until we uh, got to the October so that we finally decided, oh, what? what a really good idea. Let's start a podcast, right? It was Instead of being the first thing, it was the last thing in the chain. Cause it was like the growth was tiny and then it just took off like a rocket ship. 4% month for month growth. Just went like that for 18 months, just kept growing, 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 growing. And so, and
2: what year was that when you started your podcast, you said? That,
1: that was 2017, but we didn't add the podcast component until the october and what i want people to learn from this one is the persistence frequency and everything else and you really do need to find as a marketer you need to find what works so you might try a series of channels and it doesn't mean that like you know the webinars didn't work we didn't give up we went to youtube and the growth was slow we didn't give up we wrote the blog blog post and we back optimized and and started sending like traffic got to like in the first couple of months two to three thousand searches a month which isn't bad with long tail keywords right and so but it's not enough and, and and you and you add and you add and add and then one thing kicks into play and then you you double down and you focus on on what works there and that's really why, when that started to take off in 2017 and then I started to uh, speak around Europe quite a bit. And I went to Germany and I met Ellis and we set up DataBrill in 2018. So I've got this algorithm expert that worked on Jungle Scouts algorithm, who's, you know, PhD, like a doctor, like a, a genius basically. And he came to me and he said, I want to start a PPC software. And I went, absolutely no chance. Are you going to get me going in the, in the software? Well, not a, not. A, and then we had another chat and he said, and it worked out with the technology he developed. It was great and we could become blue ocean. It's like, right, we'll just focus on people with mass amount of SKUs because none of the agencies want to touch it, right? It's a complete ball ache. If you turn up with 1,500 SKUs to most of these agencies, my friends in the space, not now, but two years ago, They'll be like, no, no, no. That's going to cost you ten grand a month to manage that because it takes too much of the the labour time away. Now we've got more sophisticated technology that people. A lot of agencies now are using third-party software, or they're starting to develop their own. We was way ahead in terms of development back then, and and so I said, Ellis is like a genius. So I wrapped the business around him, and obviously all the clients coming from the podcast and speaking on the road and stuff so we make a good team but i literally i'm very lucky to have someone like him and it was that we we're very very focused on the type of customers we have so now it don't have to be like large accounts but we only focus on seven figure sellers and above and we're pretty proud of our record that we've got 30 plus customers, we haven't gone mental and grown out like that. Our net net margin is 55%. So we're very cash rich in terms of how we manage the business properly. Um, We've had six exits in 14 months. And it shows the kind of caliber of the people, uh, the uh, companies that we take on. So instead of spray and pray and then just sign loads of people and have high churn rates, we're very focused on how can we help these people and get them to the next level and I always sit down with all my clients and I'm like at some point you've got to sell you've got to take some legacy money off the table and I said I'm going to lose you as a client but you'll come back because you're an entrepreneur you'll go again and you'll give me that you'll give us the work on the next business because you know we manage 25 to 35 percent of your your business which is the PPC end of you know PPC to organic ratio But I like to see people do well. So I always get my clients like this is a great time. This is a market. It's a seller's market. If you think about it the right way, these multiples are getting out of control. A lot of people will tell you like the big guys won't pay more than 2.5, which is garbage. I'm seeing some massive deals going through, but no one's going to run around the industry and go, yeah, I'll pay the highest multiples because they want to get more beneficial for that. But yeah, so over the years it's kind of grown for there. And then I, I I think, yeah, in 19 or 2018, 19, I started Cellopoly Awards, which I get a lot of abuse for now because people love it if they're involved in it. And those who are not involved it can't stand with it and it, it splits opinion. But my I think it's important to celebrate people in the industry and make sure people get recognized, you know, outstanding contribution. If you've got, a, not us, because we make sure no podcast, anything related to me is not allowed. All the votes removed, right? Otherwise, we'll probably win podcasts most of the time because it's coming through my audience, right? But we take that out because we want it separate for, for everyone else. But I like the fact that we can see new faces come through and we can celebrate the these people. Uh, and one of my proudest things is Branded by Women as well. So we do Branded by Women uh, once a year. In February, we're going to do Branded, by women number three i've got something very special i want to do uh with the third one because they they need to go through stages so like for me branded by women one was look at all these amazing female entrepreneurs you've got no excuses right i've gone out and found all these people there's 40 plus people if you're looking for people to book for your events they're here here they are here's the stage then when we done Branded by Women number two, I wanted to show the vulnerability. I want to show that women look to other women on stage and want to, they look to them to, you know, to gain uh, influence. Yeah, because it's a different connection between, say, a man looking to a guy going, oh, yeah, I really enjoy those hacks. And there's a woman going, I'm she's up on that stage and I can do that, too. So it's important to get across. Look, you can be super, super successful but you still have vulnerabilities. You're still scared to ask for sometimes. You're still going to have things where um, you may get uh, like the like some sort of complex, like a, what's the imp- imposter syndrome and things like that. But what it says is like we are real. And the people that watch these women on stage or on the shows go, I can just be like them. I'm a mother. I do all those things and I can reach those heights. So that's for me, that was number two. What I want to do with number three, I'm going to look at it as I call it the integration. So we've done two branded by women's, but now I want to bring men and women closer together. And then I'm going to showcase some of the best technical talent out there that give most of the men a run for their money. And the thing is, not a lot of men buy tickets for branded by women. But I want to bring, blow them away with content, super technical stuff all by females in the space. And so they can go, right, you know, and, and so you're getting at what I call the integration stage. And I think for me, that is stage three to bring it all round because- I'm looking forward
2: look, to that. That's gonna be awesome, Danny.
1: Well, you've got to try different things. I'm happy to fall on my ass and make mistakes <laughs> and stuff. Cause I, I don't have any pride in, in that sense, you know? Like if I try something and I put all my heart into it and it fails, I've done my best you know, as a boxer, they say, you leave it all in the ring. So I'm happy to put my neck on the block to do this. And it may not work, but I just come around, we'll do number four and we'll make number four work. Does that make sense? But I think it's important. Yeah. I just it's really get
2: excited about the technical side of things because, you yeah. know, you know how I like to, to talk about those types of things. And, um, sure. and yeah, so I, I, and I know there are so many other women in the space too, who, exactly um, who can I'm, speak I've, at those higher levels so i think it's awesome
1: yeah and so i've started to build a list you know and like i'm starting to bring people through like there's i uh, had tamra like for me tamra is a work in progress uh, she's from europe she's from serbia and so i put her on the show yesterday that's the first ever podcast but I'll put her on Branded by Women number three. She'll be at Seller Sessions Live because she's based in Europe as well. And in 18 months, she'll be a recognized person within the space. But you've got to help the next generation of people coming through. And what I want to be able to do is over the period between now and the next Branded by Women, I'll bring another five or six people through that you don't know, Andy doesn't know. No one knows because I go off and find these people And then what we need to do is like we need to raise their profile. So when it comes to branded by women, they are recognizable faces and they've had enough work behind them that they're used to going on podcasts and speaking. And and do you see what I mean? Because if you've never done it before, your very first presentation, your very first podcast are not necessarily going to come out brilliant. We know this. I can't listen to the first hundred episodes of Seller Sessions. I want to dig a hole and bury myself because they're shit. But 700 episodes later, I've got a bit better. So I can tolerate the last 50. Does that make sense? But everyone needs to be brought through. So that is when I'm doing Branded by Woman. It's not that two, three week press run that we do. and, And it's an industry takeover. Like last one, we had 26 promo spots. There were 26 promo spots across the industry, 43 presentations and four live shows. I mean, it was overkill in that sense, but we'd done our job to get women out there and say, look, look at all these different people. And it's not all the same lineup from the first one. The second one is a mix of the first one because you need that familiarity. And then you start to bring some new names from. So they're the new wave that comes through in 2021. So then we look at 2022. Who can we push through and bring through in 2022? And that's what I use my platform for. Where I've got the opportunity is to give other people opportunity to help them grow.
0: I love that, Danny. Uh, I've I've never been to one of your events. It's definitely on my list, uh, especially since then I get to write off the trip to Europe, right? But um, So uh, in terms of, you know, one of the things I wanted to go back to, well, a couple of things, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, uh, I used to be terrified of getting on on live, right? I I (laughs) was just like you said, terrible, sucked things like that. I just gave myself and I tell people whenever I run into somebody who's like, uh, Hey, come on the podcast. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm too afraid I've you know, I'm not a good, I'm like, then, you know, come back to me in 30 days. In the next 30 days, just go live on your personal Facebook profile and tell people about your day or whatever, like just that, you know, doing something over and over again. It's like the one thing in that book, right? They show the small domino, the bigger one, the bigger one, the bigger one. And if you really kind of dial down into that stuff that you're, you know, that's how you're going to, you know, get better. If you you just continue to be terrified of it, it's never going to change. So I love that. Yeah,
1: I, I, I use the term um, progress over perfection because I think everything we do is a live organism that we work to. Every podcast, you, I've got that opportunity to get that minuscule better. Every time I go to the gym, um and i do squats and and, uh, you know they say i do that weekly i want to go up five to ten kilo it's always a work in progress so i always say to people nothing's ever static or finished everything you do amy you make a product i know we've had conversations about perfection perfection is non-existent and it gets in the way of everything and i'm not saying that you should do stuff rush it and do bad work But your best work is never your best work because your best work is always around the corner. So what you can do is do it so it's good enough, it's acceptable, the good level, and then you carry on adjusting all the way through. Otherwise, you won't get nothing done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing, too, is when you start scaling, you know, trying to hand off tasks to to other people, right? That's uh, another big thing you know my wife's going through that right now with a real estate business she's like well but people aren't me they can't interact and you know and i'm like yeah but you know then you're going to stay stagnant because you know unless you start you know offloading some of these some of these other tasks you're never going to kind of graduate to the next level so that's you know that's a whole nother conversation but danny what i what i'd love to talk about is uh, earlier today on seller sessions you um you know you got a hold of somebody who works for Amazon, who kind of gave you some inside scoop on, you know, some of the, the inner working, some of the stuff that's going on right now on Amazon, which, you know, if you've been selling on Amazon for a long time, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, Amazon has enabled tons of mom and pop, small businesses, things like that. But, you know, just like Google years ago, um, you know, the the do no, when the do no evil slogan went out the window, I kind of feel like Amazon is, Changing course in terms of you know having any type of compass and in, in terms of taking care of sellers, that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying that's what Danny's, but in my personal opinion, I feel like they're they're really straying from what I think should be their kind of core principle of of you know helping the small brands, bringing the small businesses out that they're putting out a business on Main Street. Um, but I would love to hear kind of uh, you know some of the some of the uh, highlights that that you got. Yeah, from- I was
1: going to say I done I done in depth, but I'll give you the cliff notes because I think it's important. Now we get into like the more of the content. I want to cover some PBC A nine stuff with you as well, so people getting on content i know we talk about some of the operations that i run and we've overrun there but let's give people some really good content so i had a meeting with a contact on the inside it's going to be an ongoing series but what i did on my podcast is go right back to the beginning how they're hired weeks on boarding all that kind of stuff so you can check that out another time but for me it's because i want to go in depth with each section talk about brand registry verification all that and we'll go right in depth but the cliff notes for it is that um Seller support. Most of them don't, as we know, don't have any experience. I do eight weeks training of that eight, eight weeks training that only gets them to FBM level right before they can touch FBA before they can touch GTINS or anything else brand registry. They have to do two weeks on each of those. Some of the real core things that uh, we've People discussed in the past and it's been unproven until now. So they've got Paragon, which is an AI system that they use. So when these bounce back emails come in, these are not automated. Every ch- ticket is checked. It's just they've got an option to choose from on the Paragon CRM system. And it gets better and learns over a period of time to make better suggestions for them. One of the things that we can do as sellers is when we write in our descriptions and in our messages, there's a few key things is that it making it keyword rich a bit like with listings that get flagged for certain keywords and stuff you know especially when someone's used a flat file etc is that if you be very specific bullet point everything and make sure it's keyword rich because then then that would then get partitioned off to the right department based on on the ai that that's key they get 17 to 18 minutes to work on per ticket Okay, so if you've got something complex, either your ticket gets seen and people get pushed to the side. And this is where they snag the tickets and they become um, they get put into like a a line, if if you like. um, Let me tell you the terminology I was looking for. I'll come back to that in a minute. Monitoring tickets randomly. Yeah. So they'll become a, a ticket that ends up being put into like a timeout if you like where it doesn't kind of get resolved so it's really important that we are descriptive now most people are descriptive so i'll tell you this stuff and you might go dan you're saying all this but i write mine a very descriptive and all i get is these crappy bounce back and everything else so bear with me a couple of key things there as well is very clear on the tickets keyword rich Um, they suggest that you know we raise tickets the best thing to do is is instant chat or request a callback. Now, Tao jumped on uh, in the comments on the podcast. He says, I raise a ticket, then I, I request a call back, then I tie the ticket. In. So great. But if you want to get stuff resolved quickly and, and, and more painlessly, we do know speaking to anyone on the phone is an obvious one. But a lot of people do raise tickets and don't bother using instant chat. And so whatever way you tie it in that way. The other thing is, is if you're, um, say you're, you're in sleepy Spain and you're in Europe, or you're in somewhere like Italy and you're Italian, but your English is very good, set your account to English and write the tickets in English. And the reason you should do that is because the whole company only operate in English internally. Right. So every ticket you write in English, it means that if you're in sleepy Spain, you haven't just might create a section where no one can serve, well, only a tiny amount of people can serve that ticket. It means anyone who speaks any language and their preferred language is English on the back end, the whole system, all the tickets that to be dealt with internally when they're annotating their files are all in English. So they can share those tickets across. Um, what else was there? So,
2: Danny, real quick question. You mentioned yeah. use the right keywords when you're yeah. writing up your seller support ticket. Yeah. Um, so that they're pulling the right responses for you or the most accurate responses. No, but they've got to be delivered
1: system. to the right department as well. So if you want oh. to go to the catalog team, right? So everything will go, like so you've got tier one, tier one, uh, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Everything goes through tier one before it's then sent on to tier two or tier three. Uh, I'll get onto this captive team thing in a minute because that seems to be a bit of a myth as well. So my
2: question for you though, yeah. is how cool. do where should people find those keywords? Should oh, they come out when, of the terminology no, they, that's used in Seller Central? Should they use Amazon policies? How should they find the right things to write up the right words?
1: i tie in in a couple of things there. One is that they get annoyed and I'm I'm going to come back around to your point is that no one uses the search function. It's rich with information, but we just raise tickets. Like, how do you do this? Well, you could search and find it out. They get pissed off with that. But going back to your point, if you're looking for the right terminology, whatever ticket you raise, do a quick search. And then look in there for... Most of the time you can't fully resolve it, but look in there for uh, Amazon language and then put that in the message, which will make your life easier when you raise the ticket. Because you could actually maybe share a URL. I'm saying this on the spot because we had done this earlier on the day. Is take the URL of that page and say, look, I've gone through this page, but it's not clear and it's missing X, Y and Z. And, and then obviously put it in your title and stuff. I, I haven't tested it yet. I want to be able to build an SOP and see if we can test by like, do we like uh, duplicate keywords and stuff like that? How does it work? What kind of response are we going to get? And I know it's going to be hard to manage because it's AI, right? So it can give you variants upon variants upon variants. It's not like a locked system. Um, so all I can say there really is keyword rich, And ah, the other thing is when a ticket closes, you know, like you get annoyed, they close the ticket and then you reopen it and send it again. All most of the time when a ticket gets closed quickly like that is because they don't know what to do with it. And it's not the right language that's specific enough to go to certain departments. So they close the ticket. But you get annoyed and open the ticket again and send it through and it goes through the exact same string, the same workflow. All it's going to do is end up being closed again. So think about why when it gets closed, read the ticket again and think if there's a a, a bunch of changes that you can make. Because if you make the changes, you've got more chance of it then hitting the the workflow again and then maybe landing in the right place. I mean, it's still a bit of a lottery, but keep opening the same ticket and sending off the message saying that you're pissed off because you keep closing it. will only send it around in this infinite loop all the time.
0: Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.